I'm dreaming. Oh, yeah. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you. Uh, it doesn't really seem fair that we put cute little kids in angel costumes up here, and then I get to come up after, and you're like, seriously, Ryan? Um, I, I, I should have put some wings on or something, but uh, one thing I love about that one, it's, it's so fun to see all the kids, uh, it, but it always reminds me, like, we have such an amazing uh, group of leaders and staff who lead our kids' ministry and our youth ministry, and I love to see that and just see that they're just thriving there. So it brings me great joy. Um, it also reminds me that uh, when you see all these kids, uh, our, our young marrieds, are, they're having a lot of kids. And so it's, it's a good thing. It's, it's really fun uh, to see more and more kids every year up here and just celebrating and just the joy that they have during this time of, uh, of the year. This year, uh, or this week, we're in our a series called Christmas Playlist, and this week we're looking at the thing, the theme of joy. We lit the candle, the Advent candle for joy. Uh, you know, this time of year, you, you hear that a lot. You hear a lot about, you know, we wish you a Merry Christmas, uh, have a holly jolly Christmas, things like it's the most wonderful time of the year. So kind of, we're bombarded with these ideas of, of cheerfulness and joy and happiness, and even in the Christmas movies, for the most part, uh, you look at them, and a lot of them, they, they try to convey some sort of emotion of joy or happiness. Even think of, you know, I love watching almost all Christmas movies that aren't made by Hallmark. And so, <laughs> and, uh, I mean, let's be honest. Matt last week confessed he liked them, but you've seen one, you have seen them all. So, um, <laughs> But I, I was thinking of one of the great Christmas movies of Elf, and even think of like Buddy when he finds out that Santa's coming to town. You know, that just, Santa's coming! Santa! You know, okay, just me. But the, the, this just overwhelming sense of joy and excitement for the season is always really fun. But I also know that during this time of year that it's not all that. There are, we also sometimes in the holidays brings up the other side of the emotion. And for some of you, um, there's pain, there's reminders, there's memories, and, and holidays can bring some of that. And even we know in our own Seacoast community that several in the last few weeks have lost loved ones. Some expected, some were unexpected. And there, so there's this extra kind of sense of, Lord, if this season's supposed to be about joy and happiness, why do we still feel pain? So we want to kind of look at that today as we look at the theme of joy what does this mean for us? See, because I really think that when we experience these mixed emotions of joy and even of pain, it's really just confirming the biblical story. The biblical story begins and says, the world's not as it's meant to be. Because of mankind and our choices, our desire to be apart from God, that we, we live in a world where there's pain, there's sorrow, there's heartache. But this isn't how God wants it for us. And Christmas reminds us that he ultimately sends Jesus to pave the way for hope for today and for eternity, which we'll look at. But Christmas reminds us that the world is a little broken. Even this last week, I read an article uh, that was talking about a book published almost a year ago by an author named J.D. Unwin. J.D. Unwin wrote about, he was a social anthropologist who was not a Christian, but was talking, he studied uh, over 80 different civilizations throughout the history of the, universe, of the world and found that all these civilizations, that there was a common pattern. And that was as, as they got further and further away from any sort of 
uh, m- shared morality that it was within three generations, every one of these civilizations has ceased to exist as we know it. And this was published 100 years ago. Using his logic, you'd say that we are probably in our second generation in the westernized world and and some of, as we've kind of made different choices and gotten further and further away from God. Here's a social anthropologist not trying to prove anything about God who actually was confirming the biblical story that it's broken. And what happens is we become more and more selfish, more self-centered, more divided, less concerned about others, and that's kind of the world that we start to live in when we start to break down. But again, that's part of the biblical story. But if the biblical story stopped there and said, hey, God created a perfect world, but now it's broken, deal with it, that's bad news. But Christmas reminds us that the good news is that God wants to speak healing into all of that. So if you're here today and this is a season where you are having a holly jolly Christmas, or for you, you want to, but it's hard, we want to speak truth into you today be reminded what does it mean to understand and to believe in Jesus? What is the joy that he brings to us during this season? And what does even that joy mean? So pray with me as we get started. God, we thank you for this morning and I thank you for this season. We thank you for what it means. And Lord, we want to recognize that this season, though there's a lot of joy, it also can bring a lot of sorrow and heartache and hurt. And Lord, uh, whatever it is, we pray that you would speak to us here. Each one of us needs to hear something different. And so God, would you give us ears to hear your truth and help point us back to you over and over again. So we thank you now, Lord, and ask that you, uh, we know you're present. We ask that you'd make your presence very known to each one of us. In your name, amen. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 2. Either open your Bibles or tap your way there. Uh, We'll be in Matthew chapter 2 in just a few moments. Before we even get started though, when we talk about joy, let me just deal with a few misconceptions. When we speak about joy, here's some things that we're not talking about. We are not talking about uh, just an emotion. We're not talking about the idea that says be happy no matter what. It's joy actually is something that produces happiness, but it's not necessarily that emotion of happy. Uh, Also, joy. When we're speaking of joy, we're not saying never experience sorrow or heartache. Having joy in your life doesn't mean that, oh, well, even when bad things happen, I just say, oh, no big deal, I have joy. No, it's not saying that those things go away. Sorrow Sorrow and pain and joy are all part of a common shared experience. But we are talking about something that's more than a feeling, something that's deeper in, and something that we believe that we can train ourselves to experience. And I also believe Jesus wants us to experience joy. In fact, in John chapter 15, he's talking about, if you abide in me and I abide in you, like that's what he's explaining in the Christ-filled life. And he says this in John chapter 15, verses, uh, verse 11. He says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be made full or complete. So Jesus is saying, I've been explaining what it means to have a Christ-filled life, to have Christ in you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be completed or made full. So Jesus wants us to experience joy in the midst of a world that is broken. And I know that sometimes in the holidays, you can almost feel pressure to feel joyful 
You ever kind of sense that, that you look around like maybe I should, I don't know, maybe I should ha- be happier in these moments. But we're talking about something that's much deeper that Jesus wants us to experience. So I believe we're gonna find a few things that will help us train our hearts um, and they're found here in Matthew chapter two. So let's look at the story. And then as we uh, look through the story, we're gonna read through it first and then we'll kind of unpack it a little bit and understand how do we find, how does this lead us to training our hearts to experience joy? So Matthew chapter two says this, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born, and they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means the least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared, he sent them to Bethlehem and he said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me that I may too come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they'd seen in the east went on before them until it stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. They fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. So as we look at this, before we even get into what we learned from it, let me just kind of paint the picture of the story a little bit more. What do we have here? We have, and this is where we get our, our manger scene kind of moment here, right? Where you have Often it's the we three kings from Orient are. You know, the, this is where we get this. There's no mention of kings or three of them, but this is where the tradition comes from. And it's actually Magi from the east. Now, where from the east? Probably in the region of Persia. Um, Magi is where we get our word for magicians and magic. They actually were not kings. They were coming as representatives of a king. They were the wise men, the counselors of a king, probably in the region of Persia. And they were into astrology and reading the stars in the universe. Now what's interesting about these magi is we hear about them earlier on in scripture, not the exact ones, but the same type of people when Daniel, the prophet, was in exile, when Israel had been exiled out and were now under the uh, control of a king of Persia. And Daniel was among the wise men of the king and the ruler, and there was magi mentioned alongside there. They were the ones that would try to interpret the dreams and visions for the king. So we've already heard of them in scripture. And we know that the Jews were exiled there in Persia, so we're well aware of them. I also believe, based on this story, that these particular magi probably understood some of the prophets or prophecies speaking about Israel and a coming Messiah and a king who will be born. Think of, they were friends with Daniel, likely knew Jeremiah the prophet, had access to the writings and connection to the culture. So here they are, they show up on the scene. Now, they showed up on the scene because a star appeared. Now what is that star? There's a lot of theories and the the real truth is it doesn't matter what the star was. Um, And there are things as, as far as in the Chinese calendar, 
In year 5 BC, which would fit pretty well here, there was an unusual comet that appeared that year, and comets in the ancient world represented the rise and the fall of a king. So it's very likely that they were reading the stars, they saw this, and maybe in their interpretations, they started thinking, well, this is somewhere in the land of Israel, and what do we know about this? So they make a journey, and the first person they go to is the king, King Herod. Now, if you're the king and some people show up and say, hey, we're here to honor the new king who was just born, how does that go over? So Herod hears this, and now you gotta know something about Herod. He was not a very loved king because he was treacherous. He had um, two, at least two of his sons killed because he thought they wanted to become king in his place. One of his wives was killed. He even had an edict issued that when he died, we, the historians of Uncarvis, when he died, he had an order issued that they were to gather up over 2,000 people from around Israel and murder them that day so that there would be mourning and crying on the day of his death. They didn't carry it through, so okay. So, but that just shows the type of person he was. So now, you show up and say, hey, we're here to honor this king who was born to Herod. But notice what Herod says, or what he does. He gathers together teachers of the law and he asks this question, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Isn't it interesting that these magi show up to honor a new king who's born and Herod's question is, where is the Messiah to be born? Likely there was something maybe more in their conversation. Perhaps Herod said, um, I think you took a wrong turn somewhere around Saudi Arabia. Like, there's no new king here. Perhaps they said, no, we read the stars, and we saw this, and we know your scriptures from your people, and it says this, that one day a child will be born to you, a son will be given, and the government will be put on his shoulders. There'll be no end to the increase of his government. He will be called Emmanuel, God with us. This, is, this is, must be what we saw in the stars. One thing I love about this story not just Herod's response, indicating that he understood very well what they were talking about, but notice even something bigger going on. These magi were the ones to come and proclaim a Messiah would be born. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, people who study the stars and worship the stars and look for signs are abominations to God. It's forbidden to do this according to the traditions of Israel. Yet God used the very people who studied the stars to reveal to them that he was the king of the universe who had come. It's just like our God to take us when we're seeking after things that are so far from him and to use those very things to draw us into his presence. This Christmas story, this segment right here shows us that our God takes someone who's worshiping the universe instead of the creator of the universe, but uses that to reveal himself to them. This is a reminder that the Christmas story is not just about the inner circle. It's not just about the religious. It's not just about those who had all their facts right. It was about the God of the universe who cares so much about every single person that he has created that he will do whatever he can to reach them, to, to speak to them, and to draw them into his presence. And if that isn't good news, I don't know what is because he does that for you and for me. 
I know there's many of you I've talked with who have struggled with substance abuse and you say the very thing that I was seeking after my whole life, the substance abuse, is the very thing that led me to the end of my rope. And we have a saying here that at the end of the rope is where you find God hanging out. The very thing that was leading you astray was the thing that led you to the God who loves you and cares about you. We find that in this Christmas story. And then Herod hears about it. He says, where is the Messiah to be born? And I love that Herod does this. He gathers people together and say, like, these guys just told me something's in our Bible. Where is that? Any of you ever feel that way? You know, like, where, are you sure there's something like that in Scripture? There's times when I'm reading and I'm like, when did they add this story? I don't, I don't know where that came from. Herod has that moment here. What, what did they, what are you talking about? There's going to be, who's born? Find out where that is. And he quotes Micah the prophet and says, in Bethlehem, he'll be born. And what Matthew doesn't record is the rest of Micah's prophecy says, and he is he's from ancient of days, or his days are from eternity. God with us will be born in Bethlehem. So Herod sends him off and says, oh, great news, good. Why don't you go find him and let me know where he is so I can come worship him too. Likely, uh, I'm not sure why Herod didn't just go send his soldiers. Perhaps he was afraid. He was troubled. Maybe he knew as soon as they saw the soldiers heading to Bethlehem that they were going to hide this baby. Have no idea why he didn't go then. But Herod sends them ahead. Now the Magi show up and look what they do. They present him gifts. Now this is where we get our tradition of the three kings, the three gifts. They probably presented him with many gifts. But there's three that are mentioned and these three gifts are the ones I want to focus on today. Because I believe that these three gifts each say something about who Jesus is and who the Magi were proclaiming him to be. And that is where we find truth that can train our hearts to understand joy as they rejoice with exceedingly great joy upon finding, the babe, or finding Jesus. What, what does this tell us about Jesus? How do we find joy based on these gifts? So I want you to look at those. First one is this. They presented him with gold. The gold in ancient world represented royalty. The first thing they were saying is this child is a king. So the first thing we see is Jesus as king. Jesus as king. Now, if Jesus is king, if he is over all things, that means that all things are in his control. And if all things are in his control, then guess who doesn't have to be in control of all things? Us. Now, what is one of the things that takes joy from our lives? When we are out of control, when we can't control the environment, when we can't control the people around us, when we're driving and everyone around us went to a different driving school than us and it wasn't as good. <laughs> Things steal our joy the way other people are. The way someone in the store is behaving or the person on the line or the computer on the line when you're trying to get a hold of somebody to help you and you just start yelling at a computer because they're not understanding you. That's only me. I'm the only one who's ever done that. Start making things up for them to hear like, why don't you understand me right now? Um, okay, you gotta live in my house. So, starts to steal our deep-rooted joy when we feel like we can't control things. We can't control people. But when you train our hearts to understand that Jesus is king, he's in control of all of this. That though this world feels chaotic, that ultimately we believe that there's a God who loves us 
who ultimately is able to do whatever he needs to to bring human flourishing for you and for me and for everyone. Just two weeks ago, I met a, a man uh, who was a pastor in Austria. And he flew over here uh, with his wife and he was going to officiate uh, a funeral. And a couple days before the funeral, they got into a car accident and his wife was killed. And so they called me to step in and, and uh, uh, do the funeral for him. And here I am now meeting with someone who flew over here to officiate a funeral of a beloved friend of his and now his own wife had passed away. And as I met with him and prayed with him and talked with him, I found a deep joy in his life that I have never really experienced quite like that. When he looked at me and he said, Ryan, I am grieving. We were married for 57 years. I'm heartbroken. I'm surprised. He goes, but who am I to question my God and my king? If he said he, this is her time, it's her time. And I said, well, it's really hard when you're not expecting it. And he said, you know, I wasn't expecting that, but we live our lives always. We try to always live our lives expecting that God will do what he'll do. And so we lived all the time as if at any moment it could be our last. And I actually really believed him because there was something deeper about his presence and his joy. Something that was so profound. And really what it was was his years and years of walking with the Lord that started one day when he was hitchhiking in, Germ in Germany. Someone picked him up and that night that person led him to the Lord. That person happened to be a guy named Major Ian Thomas who's a very famous author and leader. This guy's life was transformed and he had 50 some years of walking with Jesus to train him to understand joy, a deep-rooted joy. So this last week then, uh, the Lord always says, hey, if you're gonna preach on joy, let me test you. And so, um, and on a much, much smaller scale, but uh, last Sunday night, actually, the women were doing their event. I was going to come out to the, to the women's event to just kind of smile, say hi, and grab some food. And, um, and right before that, uh, we had our, our main water line to our house broke. So my son, I love to fix things, so no big deal. My son and I dug it up. We found the hole. We got the, dug it all around, got it ready to fix, and went to the store, got the right parts, told my wife, like, okay, I'm committing now. As soon as I cut this thing, we're, you know, it's in 15 minutes, we'll be good, or, you know, we're like, a week, we'll be okay, you know, <laughs> either one, don't know yet, and, and, and so we cut into the pipe and, and found out that it was, it's our neighborhood, the, what they used back then, they don't make anymore, it's an odd size, there's no replacement parts for it, you have to kind of create a new one or dig up the whole thing, I found that out after, um, if you live in my neighborhood, there's free information, so, and so I had it, now I'm sitting there and thinking, okay, went back to the store, got some different pieces to try to just make a temporary fix to get us through the night. So at one point, I'm laying in the mud, my arms are deep down in the hole, and, um, I, and I'm, fixing, I'm kind of fixing this thing, and in my mind, I'm like, okay, I have to speak about joy. This morning's theme was peace, next week is joy. Okay, um, and, and Lord, what would it mean to have joy in this moment? And again, this is a small, this is just a small everyday life type of thing. But, and I'm just getting to a point where it's like, you know what, Lord, you are king of all things. This doesn't surprise you. Like, I can have joy in this moment. It's okay. Look, we, at least we have a house on which this water pipe goes to. You know, you start to have all these, and I started experiencing this joy, and I realized I'm totally muddy. I'm laying with my arms in there, and then I kid you not, it started to rain. 
And I was like, Lord, you're not even funny right now at all. Like, <laughs> and so I'm just like, okay. He's like, all right, now how about now? <laughs> and, and just had this moment of like, okay, it really takes, we have to train our hearts to go back to this feels out of control, but God, you see all things. So how do I learn to rehearse time and time again that this world is broken, things happen, but the Lord, and it doesn't mean like, oh, no big deal, yay, my pipe broke, that's great, how much is this gonna ultimately cost me? No, it's not like I have happiness, but you can experience joy. It's a peace that comes, something deeper. Corey Tin Boom said this, if you know her story of, of um, hiding and rescuing many Jews during World War II, she said this, when we are powerless to do a thing, it is a great joy that we can come and step inside of the ability of Jesus. I love that imagery there. There are moments when we train our hearts to wait. When I'm powerless, I can step inside of the ability of Jesus and essentially saying like, Lord, I gotta trust you in this. I gotta trust that you're bigger than this situation. I, gotta, I need you for my patience right now. I need you for my peace right now. I, just, I need to step inside of the life of Christ here. So that's the gold. The next one is frankincense. Frankincense is on many of your Christmas wish lists, I know. Uh, it, it was used as an incense in the worship. So there's something here about the worship uh, of Jesus, but also the priests used it. They would light these incense, and they would burn them, and it was an offering to God. And so here, really what it is, is an indication that Jesus as priest. Now what was the role of a priest? The priest was a mediator between God and man. Essentially, in the life of Christ, what we remember from the Christmas story is now we no longer have, have to be separated from our creator God because of Jesus, that his presence is with us, that that wall has been broken, that divide no longer exists. You know, even in the, the song, Joy to the World, uh, it's actually one of our oldest Christmas songs written 300 years ago. And in Joy to the World was roughly based on uh, Psalm 98, which is a messianic psalm, talking about all heaven and earth will rejoice and sing and the, the mountains will sing and the oceans will roar because all the nations will see God's salvation. He will come near, he'll be present and all the nations will see him. And so all creation should rejoice. But another verse in the song is based on Genesis chapter two. The joy to the world actually is telling you the whole biblical story in its original form. We don't always sing all of them. But the stanza we don't sing often because it doesn't feel as Christmassy is this. I have it for, on the screen for you. It says this, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. <laughs> That's why I don't lead worship. So, this is part of the biblical story. Genesis chapter 3 tells us with what we call the fall. Sin enters in. There's a curse on the world. There's brokenness between relationships, between God and man, between God and creation and nature itself, between mankind. There's a bro there's brokenness. And this song actually reminds us of this. No more let sin and sorrows grow or thorns infest the ground. These are results. These are the effects of the curse on mankind, the world that we know. Because he comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. So everywhere where we experience the effects of our fallenness and our brokenness, Jesus came to come and bring blessing to those places. That there is nowhere in which the presence of God does not reach 
and bring his presence and change and reverse that curse when we experience it. Again, um, Corey Timboom's sister, actually, Betsy, who died in one of the camps, she wrote this before she died. She said, there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. I love that imagery. When we're in Christmas, we remember. We see the effects of the curse all over the place. We see fallenness and brokenness everywhere we go. But Christmas reminds us that Jesus comes to be present. That separation between us and God is gone. That curse is reversed because of Jesus. This is the good news. The story is for us. The final gift that we see here is this gift. It's the gift of myrrh. I don't even know what myrrh really looks like, what it smells like. I think you can buy it in some, I'm sure I could buy it in Israel when I travel there, but myrrh actually was used as an embalming oil. It was the spices they used to embalm and, and anoint bodies for burial. That's not a very good birthday gift, by the way. <laughs> so they gave him gold because he was king. They gave him frankincense because he was priest. And they gave him myrrh. Because in it, Jesus came with a purpose. He didn't come just to live. He came to die. He came to sacrifice himself for you and for me and for everyone. From the very beginning of his story, his birth, we're told right away that be prepared that this child is coming as savior, but it's gonna cost him something to be savior. That he's coming, he's entering into your mess, and he's going to give of his very life. He's going to need this myrrh one day. He's coming with a mission for you and for me. We can have great joy because we know from the very beginning of the Christmas story that because Jesus did what he did on the cross, that there's certain truths that now are true about you and, for me, you and me if we are willing to accept it. The truth that is now available to us is that we can be sons and daughters of God, adopted in, co-heirs with Christ. The truth is that we, there's no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We know that neither height nor depth nor angels nor principalities nor anything can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. These are the good news truths that are true because of what Jesus Christ has done. And none of the dumb things that we do, none of the dumb things that we say or think can actually break what he has done. That's good news. This is a time in some churches you might want to even say something there, but I get it. We're North San Diego. But this is, this is like, this is good news. This is why, this is what Christmas is right here. He came so that we don't have to live in our stupidity. And he looked down on us and our Christmas shopping and our busyness and our driving and our fights in the parking lots and our fights over big screen TVs at Walmart and all of these things that we do. And he says, oh yeah, that's why I came. Because you guys are broken. But I got this. The very season that brings out the worst in us reminds us how much we need this season. 
reminds us that God had this figured out long before we ever could even imagine it. And when the Magi bring this myrrh, I can't imagine what Mary and Joseph were thinking when they looked at that and thought, uh, that's not very nice. (laughs) Or maybe they read the prophecies. Maybe they understood that this child was going to be a different kind of child. That he came with a purpose as our Savior and the Savior of the universe. So how do we respond to all of this? How do we train our hearts to recognize Jesus as king? How do we train our hearts to remember that even in the most difficult times in our lives, that he's present and start to embrace his presence? How do we train our hearts to know that our identity is secure because of what he's done, because he's our savior, that can't be undone? How do we do that? We need to change the playlist in our lives. We need to practice this truth over and over again. When we start hearing those old negative playlists, when we start hearing those old songs sung, we need to remember. When we have those moments we go, Lord, everything is out of control, what's going on? When your kids don't always do what you want them to do, which I've heard it happen. When your spouse doesn't meet every one of your needs that you communicated or didn't communicate. When your parents don't react to you the way you want them to. When your roommates leave their macaroni and cheese in a pot in the sink. (laughs) Some of you can relate to those. (laughs) How do we train our hearts Say, Lord, these things are stealing my deep sense of joy. Let me go back to rehearsing who you are. Let me rehearse who you are in my life. Some of you are here and you're here and maybe you say, my life has been nothing but a mess. You need to be reminded today that Christmas, the story about Jesus is all about taking that and making something of it. I love how Max Lucado says it. He says this, your test will become your testimony. The test you face in your life will become your testimony and your mess will become your message. Some of you have really good messages coming because you have a big mess around you. But see, God, the whole story of Christmas is that playlist is over and I'm gonna make something new of it if you just let him. So how will we respond to Jesus this year? That's the big question. You know, Christmas is something that we We do every year. It's routine. We have our moments of like, oh yeah, I gotta remember the purpose. But what if our community really was able to live out the truth about Jesus in here? What if all the people who don't come on Sunday mornings, what if all the people who actually think we're crazy for believing what we believe, what if this year they experienced the presence of Jesus the way we loved them? The way we interacted with them? the way we gave up that last parking spot for them? What if the way we behaved just made them say, wait a minute, something's going on in our city? What if we loved our city as much as Jesus did? What would happen? I took great joy yesterday we, with our life group and I saw several other groups down at uh, the fairgrounds where the CRC does their annual holiday basket program to help um, 1,500 families or so in the community who are underemployed or low income, just bless them with 
food, some gifts for Christmas, and to be a part of that. I thought it's such, it's such a cool thing and it's such a joy to be there with many of you serving and caring about our community. And I love that we do that during the holidays. And I also love that so many of you do that throughout the year. It reminds us really that the presence of Jesus, all of this from Christmas, that's what it's about. Let's be that kind of community that communicates the real message to everyone, everywhere we go. What would that do? I want to invite the worship team to make their way up, and we're going to finish with uh, one final song. And uh, as they kind of make their way up here, I just want to give you a moment to kind of search your heart a little bit. What of Jesus do you need to be reminded of this morning? Is it king? Is it priest? Is it savior? What is the truth that you need to hear? And uh, let's respond with the song. First, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this time. Lord, I thank you for your great love for us. I thank you that the Christmas story is all about the fact that we are often a mess. But because of you, Jesus, now that's not true of us anymore. And we have a message. And so we thank you so much, God, that you came down and met us here. And Lord, for those who are with us this morning who are experiencing some extra pain, God, I pray that you would just speak comfort. You'd help them to see that you are king, you are God. You would send others to come alongside them with love, to weep with those who weep, to be the family together, to be your presence. And God, for anyone who's here this morning who maybe has been wandering away from you, maybe has never given their life to you, and they're here today, God, and you are using, maybe they came to see some cute little kids look like angels singing, but Lord, you wanted them to hear a bigger message, that there's hope, that there's peace, there's joy. Would you speak to their hearts now? And, and if that's you, and this morning you want to respond to Jesus, would you just in the quietness of your heart pray with me? And just pray this prayer. Press, Dear Jesus, Please forgive me for my sins. Thank you for coming to be our savior. I have questions about you. Maybe I have some doubts, but I want you to be the Lord of my life. Would you change me? Be my Lord today. And if you prayed that prayer, Scripture tells us that all heaven is rejoicing over you right now. That your identity, your playlist is changing as we speak. And you have a new truth about you. So God, we thank you and we give you our hearts and we ask that you would receive this final song as kind of our, our declaration to you. That we want you to be our deep-rooted joy. So we thank you, we give you this time now. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me as we sing this last song?